Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Evangelist Paul Swanky, come up and open the Word of God. Uh, he's my favorite preacher. I've also given him another nickname that we've had for years, the Bible Buzzsaw, because he gets into it. We've been in meetings before where he's uh, just going at it and preaching the Word of God, and he starts rocking back and forth, and the crowd's so into it that they start racking back and forth and just into in tune with him and the Word of God. My kids were just talking about similarities between us, and sometimes we come up with the same type of messages. And Last night he stole my next Wednesday's message I already had scheduled and planned, and so I'll have to go to the drawing board again. But luckily, there's a whole bunch of messages you could find in here. I'll never run out. I sometimes just scratch my head at some preachers that say, um, well, I just don't know what to preach. Open a page, find something. Or even worse yet, preachers who call on Saturday night and say, Hey, i got to preach tomorrow. you got an outline? <laughs> Take the Bible! Preach! You won't have to worry about that tonight because we have someone who's ready to go and spent some time in the Word, spent some time praying, and he has a message from us, from the Lord. So, preacher, come up. <laughs> and we're thankful, Lord, for you. Thank you, preacher. God Amen. Bless you. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. God bless you tonight. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy tonight, chapter 3. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. And what a privilege and a joy as always to be at Riverview Baptist Church. Thank you so much for your faithfulness tonight. Welcome to those that are online. Brother Cooper, we're glad you're, you're with us tonight. Glad you got the technology figured out. That's a, that's a great accomplishment. So we appreciate that as well. And, and wherever you might be tonight, we're so thankful that God's brought you here to the preaching of the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, just before we go to the Bible, uh, Brother Bockhouse has been very gracious, allowed me to set up a table in the back, and, and uh, I use the monies from that table to spend time every year with missionaries around the world. We take a number of weeks and goes, I'm, I'm exactly sure how things are going to play out this year, the way uh, the world's pretty much shut down right now, but uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, we just spend time every year and go preach with churches just like yours that uh, just are in different countries, different Different lands. Let me encourage you to stop by the table back there. There's a number of books and preaching uh, uh, that are available. Uh, there's some preaching CDs. Each one of those CDs has five messages on it. And then there's a little thumb drive. That thumb drives up to, what, 560 messages now. We add about 40 or 50 or 60 or so every year. And uh, you say, what's a thumb drive? Well, the CDs are for you. That's how that works. But but uh, we'd encourage you to stop by. In addition to the preaching, there's a number of books that uh, the Lord's allowed us to write a, a series from the Minor Prophets, or they're allegedly called the Minor Prophets. I call it Major Preaching from the Minor Prophets. And Lord willing, I'd like to get through all of those books. Uh, there's seven down. I just finished the seventh ones at the printer now on a book that you're not familiar with here called Habakkuk. But uh, uh, I know Brother Bakhaus has been preaching through Habakkuk, and, and uh, so we got a book on that too. It must be something about Habakkuk. But I'll tell you, your preacher was right. It really applies to the day in which we live. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. The books back there from the so-called minor prophets, as well as some books for young people, and, and books to encourage in your Christian life. And there's a little series, little smaller books about the Bible. You know, when it comes to God's Word, God took care of everything, didn't He? He gave us the words of the Bible, then He promised that He would preserve them. But you know, sometimes I think we make a big mistake, and we think we've got to get into a debate about the Bible. You know, my professor can beat up your professor. He's got more degrees than your guy has. And that's always a big mistake. Because, you know, when it comes to the Word of God, well, God will defend His Word. And we just go to the Bible and let God take care of this thing. He, he tells us precisely in the Word of God what we ought to believe about the Word of God. So on the table in the back, there's a, a series of books, uh, five of them, the sower in his Bible, David in his Bible, Peter in his Bible, Mary in her Bible, creation 
sin in its Bible. You get the idea. I mean, the Word of God exalts the Word of God again and again and again. How we desperately need to go to the Bible to know what God said about His words. So those books are all available back there. If you do e-books, they're all at Amazon as well. And, and see, that's the commercial. People in Wisconsin, you're so nice. I appreciate that tonight. And uh, that's the commercial for the week. But you'd be a help to us. Go spend time with missionaries. And everything that's back there, we write for people in independent Baptist churches like Riverview Baptist Church. And we trust there'll be a real encouragement to you. Now you have your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, when you open your Bible to 2 Timothy, it would be hard to imagine more desperate times. For the Apostle Paul, his life is coming to an end. He is probably, if the historians are right, you can give or take on that, but if the historians have it right, he's in a place called the Mamertine Prison. And whether it is that particular one or another one like it, the point is Paul's in jail and he's not getting out. And he knows that unless God does an incredible miracle, a miracle no one sees coming, that soon he is going to give his life for the Savior that he loves. He loves Timothy, Pastor Timothy. And one more time, he's going to write a letter to Timothy to encourage that young man. And, and you know, Timothy's been saved a while now. He's been serving the Lord for a while. It's, it is Second Timothy. And, and Timothy's been used of God. And yet when you read Second Timothy, you see he's wavering. And there's some fear in his life, and well, there ought to be. Why, the first century was an incredibly dangerous time. You know, we think that we're under great persecution in America because a couple of governors are giving churches a hard time. Hey, I'll tell you what, no matter what happens tomorrow, it's not like it was in the first century with the Roman Empire. And the Neros and the Domitians and the, and the Caesars of the first century running literally the world said to the people of God, you will bow down and make me your chief God or you will die. And that was pretty much what Paul was being sentenced for. It was probably for treason. The Roman government said, pick all the gods you want. You can worship any god, so long as the emperor is God number one. That doesn't work for the child of God. No, to be saved, you are not saved until you turn to the one living and true God, and there are no other gods. Well, for somebody like Timothy, he knew that his beloved friend Paul was about ready to die for the Savior he loved. Maybe he could see the temperatures rising where he was probably in Ephesus. Perhaps he could see in the Roman culture and the Roman world there was growing animosity to the things of God and times were awfully hard for Timothy as well. That's why when you make your way through 2 Timothy, there are verses like chapter 2, verse number 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Promises like 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1 where I'd like you to go with me tonight where the Bible tells us things aren't going to get better and better. Things, as the southern preacher says, they're not going to get gooder and gooder. My friend, the Bible tells us we have a promise from heaven and it's not good. Would you notice tonight from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says this know also. Timothy, there's something you need to understand and know. There are no rose-colored glasses now. The Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, I want your eyes wide open. I want you to discern what is coming next. This know also that in the last days, the last days began when Jesus ascended to heaven. You say, well, if that was the last days, we must be in the last days of the last days. I never go there because, you know, I don't know. And I know that you don't know. And I know that Harold Camping doesn't know. I know that nobody knows. But what I do know is that we're 2,000 closer, years closer to the return of Christ than the Apostle Paul was. And now he says, Pastor Timothy, you need to have your eyes open. This know also that in the last times, perilous times, dangerous times, troublesome times. And notice the words. Not might come, not could come, perilous times shall come. Father, help us tonight as we open the words of our God. And I pray the somber message of 2 Timothy chapter 3 would grab our attention and grab our hearts. And, or may there be a sobriety, a seriousness about the will of God and the work of God. For your people tonight, would you please bring us back to that place where we understand that the time is short, the hour is late, and now is the time to live a life for the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. For someone who's not saved, I pray tonight 
think they would run to the cross and realize that now is the accepted time, that now is the day of salvation. For, Lord, perilous times shall come. We desperately need your help. In the great name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A while ago, I was studying the book of 2 Timothy, and it dawned on me that that by all the successful popular preachers that are out there, it seems like all of these populist ministers are constantly preaching about the promises of God. So as I was making my way through 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I decided, you know, the next promise of God I come to, I'm going to preach on this. Now, this really seems to work because, you know, the ministers that everybody loves and the ministers that are famous and, and the ministers that lie, they're always preaching about the promises of God. So I said, okay, what I'm going to do is the next promise of God I come to, I'm going to preach a message on that. You know, the next promise I came to was in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, where the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What a promise. I got to tell you, we come to the Bible and we like the promises that are pleasant, don't we? We like the fear nots, don't we? We like the I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Of course we do. I, we like all those precious promises in the Bible that give us great comfort and they give us great peace. But may I remind you, please, the faithfulness of God not only means that God is going to keep his promises... Unfortunately, the faithfulness of God also means that God is going to keep his threats. And while we love to hear those blessed promises that make us feel good and, and help us sleep a little better at night, loaded in the word of God are verses like 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, where the word of God promises that if you and I will live godly, where the word of God promises that if Riverview Baptist Church is going to do what is right, where the word of God promises us tonight that if we are going to stand for truth, this world is not going to embrace us, this world is not going to like us. This world is not going to agree with us. This world is not going to appreciate us. This world is going to persecute us. The Bible does not say we could suffer persecution. The Bible does not say righteous people might suffer persecution. If you and I live godly lives, we'll, we'll not avoid it. We will suffer persecution. Well, I got to tell you, I looked at that verse, Brother Bockhouse said, well, that wasn't the promise I was looking for. Hey, maybe there's a, another sweet promise to preach on. Do you think in 2 Timothy? So I started going through 2 Timothy, and, and I wondered if there might be another promise that I could find. Well, there were a couple. Well, for example, in chapter 2, verse number 11, the promise is, if we be dead with him, we shall live with him. I thought, whoa, that one's not too positive. Let's try the next one. Chapter 2, verse number 12, if we suffer, we shall reign. This isn't working too good. The same verse said, if we deny him, he will deny us. I said, man, there's got to be another promise than that. Well, I went to chapter 3 in verse number 1, the verse where we started tonight. How's this for a promise of God? Perilous times shall come. Well, I didn't like that one, so how about chapter 3 in verse number 13? Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And if that one doesn't work, how about chapter 4, verse number 3, where the Bible says that most Multitudes of people are going to leave the truth of the Word of God and they're going to follow false teachers. Now, I got to tell you, I was looking for one of those sweet little promises that make everybody feel good. One of those nice little promises that everybody's going to like me for. I thought maybe I could get a nice new hairdo. I thought maybe I could get, you know, a, a tooth job and some real white, shining, bright, a beautiful smile. I thought I could get it in front of people and, and tell them how sweet are the promises of God. But when you take an honest look, in the Bible, oh, there are wonderful, precious promises, but there are also powerful, frightening threats. Because God is faithful, I know he will keep every promise, but because God is faithful, I know that he will honor his threats. So we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and, and we read in verse number 1 that perilous times shall come. And we start thinking, you know, it can't get any worse than it is right now. I mean, preacher, didn't you read the news today? Actually, I didn't. Well, you say, preacher, didn't you watch it on TV? No, actually, I didn't get around to that today. I, I got no idea. You know, that's the nice thing about Seymour, Wisconsin. I got to tell you, the whole world may be done for it. And I'll never know right here. It's a beautiful thing. I got to tell you, you can't avoid it in a place like Phoenix. You can't avoid it in a place like Milwaukee. 
Milwaukee. You can't avoid it in the big cities of Appleton and, and Green Bay, but you sure can in Seymour. I got to tell you, it's quite the beautiful thing. And for all I know, the world may not be out there anymore, but if it is, no, didn't catch the news, but I can tell you one thing from the Bible. No matter how much bad news there was today, God said it's only going to get worse and worse. And if that weren't enough in verse number 13, not only is the news going to get worse, it says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You say, man, we got some really bad politicians out there. The bad news is it's going to get worse. You say, but preacher, we got a whole lot of bad religion out there. You know what the Bible says? It's going to get worse. It really is kind of stunning that one of the most popular religious movements out there right now, without getting too technical, they come along and say, well, it's all going to get gooder and gooder. That's the southern way of doing it. And then one day we're going to bring the kingdom in. I, I like what the old English preacher said. He said, this thing's not going to turn into a millennium anytime soon. Before the millennium comes pandemonium. I will promise you that's exactly what's coming next. This thing is not going to get better. You say, but what if we have a great election in November? And what if my guy wins the election? Is it going to get better then? Nope. But what if our party wins the house? Is it going to get better then? then? Nope. But what if we get a new governor? And what if we get a new Congress? And what if we get new this and new that? Why, what if we get a whole new, I mean, what if the swamp got cleaned up? Would that fix things? Nope. Because the Bible tells us it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You say, man, they're pretty dangerous. You know, for a while there, and it's kind of frightening to turn on the, on the, on the news. And oh, not too far from here in Minneapolis, they're burning the city down. And, and you know, they're rioting in places like Milwaukee and Phoenix where I live. And, and you wonder if New York City's going to be there the next day. And, and then you turn on the news and 50 plus days, they're, they're rioting and burning down Portland, Oregon. And, and why the next thing you know, they'll be marching down down the streets of Seymour, Wisconsin. Who would ever thunk it, as they say? And, you know, we can't imagine how more violent things are going to become and how more desperate things will become. But the Bible says you think it's bad right now. It hasn't gotten started. God said dangerous times are going to come. God says that evil men... And seducers are going to get worse and worse. And notice at the end of verse 13, it's going to be so bad they're going to deceive. And not only deceiving, they're going to be deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. So the deceivers are going to come along and deceive people. And then the Bible says the deceivers are going to be more deceived so they can turn around and deceive others even more so. And that's why you watch everything spiraling down. And that's why you say, well, you know, there's a guy running for office. This lady runs for office. And they say they're going to do one thing. And then when they go to Washington, they do something entirely different. And then they come back and they say, oh, you know, we're going to do this. And then they go there and they do that. And it says, just gets worse. You can't trust a word they say. And the Bible tells us bad news. It's all going to get worse and worse and worse. Oh, if you want, we could paint on a pretty smile tonight and, and say it's all good. But you know, the truth is it's not all good. And if you want, we can try to pat you on the back and pump you up and get you all fired up. It's all, it's all going to work out. Well, I know how it's going to go to the bottom of the ninth inning. The problem is it's going to be awfully rough getting to the bottom of the ninth inning. And God didn't say it's going to get sweeter and kinder and better. He said it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So what's going to get worse and worse? Notice, if you would, in verse number 2. The Bible begins a list of 18 sins, 18 of them. Now, I know that word is kind of a foreign word in modern houses of religion. You say, what, 18? No, sins. Now, I know, I know that my people go to modern houses of religion and they'll never hear the word sin. That's just a too negative of a word. I, they will never hear about right and wrong and there will never be any conviction. But, you know, the word of God just lays it out one right after another. There are 18 of them. You say, what's going to get worse and worse? These 18 sins. This is what is going to get worse and worse. Perilous times shall come. Dangerous times shall come. So what does God promise? Not that it's all going to be sweet and good and the elections are going to make us all happy. But what God promises is that perilous times shall come. Evil men and seducers are going to get worse and worse. And if they want to be a little more specific, here's the 18 things that are all going to get worse. But what is stunning about this list, if it... It's what I could call the bookends. 
Would you notice in this list of 18 things that are going to get worse, where it starts and where it ends? It starts in verse number 2 with the phrase, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. It ends at the end of verse number 4 with the phrase, they are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And every single one of the sins that are in this list of 18, every single one of them are based on the first one and the last one. And so God says, if you really want to know what's going to happen to your society, your society is going to get worse and worse because it is going to become, and I think we recognize it has become, a society of self-love. It's exactly what God said. People who are lovers of their own self. It's the only time this particular word is used in the New Testament. It's a word that means to be self-centered. It's a word that means to be in love with oneself, to be wrapped up in themselves. It's a word that means it's all about me and what I want. I got to tell you, I don't know if there's a verse that describes the culture of America better than this one right here. This is exactly what we have seen right before our eyes. You know, there's some here tonight, you go back or your parents might go back to the great World War II generation. And you know, there was a a title that was put upon that generation. That generation was called the Great Generation. And well, they should have been. Because in World War II, we watched men and ladies from around this country literally be willing to give their lives for the nation they loved. It was a great generation. I people said there's a war in Asia. There's a war in Europe. There is freedom that is on the line. And we are willing to risk our lives for freedom. People aren't even willing to come out of the basement for freedom tonight, my friend, things have changed, haven't they? There was a time when America had what was called the great generation. Then, of course, there came the baby boom generation, which uh, some of us, maybe more of us, are members of. Then, of course, there was the famous millennial generation. And one by one, they come and they go. And it seems like the psychologists, they, they need titles for the generation. Well, I have a title for the present generation, if they're going to ask. You know what we well could call these today? We could call it the selfie generation. And I just say it, the selfie generation. Everybody look at me. Everybody watch me as I take a selfie of myself. Yeah, I can remember the day you'd visit somebody in their home and, oh no, all of a sudden here comes the slide reel out, you know. They're going to show you slides of their vacation. Well, was that ever horror? I mean, you know what was coming. You had to sit there and slide after slide. Kind of like they used to do in the church, the missionaries, you know, slide after slide after slide. And then, you know, this was Niagara Falls and over here, yeah, there's the the World Trade Center and Empire State Building and over here is the Statue of Liberty and uh, I got to tell you, then, you know, it just seems like it would never stop. The only thing worse than going to a slideshow in America be to go to one in Japan or in Asia someplace. Boy, they never stop. They're always taking pictures. And, you know, that's the way it used to be. But you know what it's like now? Oh, no, no, no. This is not a picture of the Statue of Liberty. This is not a picture of the Empire. This is a picture of me. I have taken a selfie of me. This is me when I go to the store. This is me when I'm at the drive-thru at McDonald's. This is me when I am going to get some groceries. This is me when I am pumping gas into the tank. Notice me. This is what I had for breakfast. This is what I had for mid-morning snack. This is what I had for lunch. This is what I think. This is where I am going. This is what I am doing. Selfie, 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 selfie. It is all about me and what I want. There was a day when America said we are willing to go to Asia. We are willing to go to Europe and die for freedom. That has turned into a generation of people who say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. It's another selfie of me because the Bible tells us it's coming to the place where men are lovers of their own selves. And because humans love themselves, that's why at the end of verse number four, it winds up with people who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Of course it does. Because I love myself so much, whatever it takes to make me happy, whatever it takes for me to be satisfied. So if that means that I divorce my husband, divorce my wife, if that makes me happy, I'm going to do it. If that means that I got to neglect my kids because I want this and I want that, whatever it takes for me to be happy, whatever it takes for me to have pleasure, whatever it takes for me to have fun. And people have pretty much put a little circle on the ground, stepped inside the circle and said, whatever it takes for me, I am living for me because they love themselves they're living for pleasure for themselves and you know what God said 
going to get worse and worse. But look back to verse number 2 and notice the list now. The list begins with men who love themselves and it ends with because they love themselves, they're selfie. Because they're all about me, they're going to do whatever it takes for me to be happy. And virtually every one of these sins in between, it all stems from people who love themselves. Look at how this ties together. Verse number two, men shall be lovers of their own selves because they're lovers of their own self. Notice what's next, covetousness. Of course, because I love myself, it means that I love money. How else can I have the pleasures that I want and the stuff that I want and the toys that I want? How can I do the things that I want unless I'm covetousness? And it's all about more stuff and it's all about more money. It's all about me. Because they love themselves, they not only covetous, the Bible says they're boasters. Of course they are. Because I love myself so much, I have to tell you how great I am. And the Bible says that stemming from stealth love are people that are constantly boasting. They're letting everybody know who they are and what they think. Their opinion is the only thing that counts. Because they love themselves, the Bible says they're proud. The word proud means to overshow yourself. I mean, that's why people walk around. You, you, you just, you know, did I see that girl there? Is it true she's got green hair? I don't think that was, she was born that way. Might be wrong about that, but I don't think she was born that way. He said, well, why do people do that? You know why? Look at me. You have to notice me. So if that means I'm going to put a bolt through my nose, I'll put a bolt through my nose. Because the whole thing is that everybody noticed me. Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know how much I matter? And, and I'm not going to be happy until everybody knows how miserable I am. So everybody's got to notice me. Everybody's got to see me. And if that means I'm going to wear bizarre clothes, if that means I'm going to dress in a bizarre way, if that means that I, whatever it takes for everybody to know how it is all about me. Because men love themselves, the Bible says they let everybody know it and they act in a way that's a show every day. They're not only proud, they're blasphemers. Blasphemers are people who slander others. Of course they do. Because I love myself so much, I have to attack somebody who's not as great as I am. And if somebody actually disagrees with me, I need everybody else on Facebook. I need everybody else on Twitter to know how much I am right and how much they are wrong. And if that means that I have to destroy them, if that means I have to lie about them, that's all fine. Because don't you understand, I am so important and I am so great that anyone who's anywhere well, somebody like that has to be cast at the lie and slander. The Bible word is blaspheme. How about this one? Disobedient to parents. Because I love myself so much, there's no authority in my life. I'm not going to obey my father. I'm not going to obey my mother. I mean, we have a culture, you can't turn on the TV, but that Disney is going to be teaching young people, you are right, your parents are wrong. You can't go to a classroom in school, but your parents don't know anything, and you're always right. And kids think that they have the knowledge about everything. They think they know it all. You know that virtually every, every list in the Bible where God lives some of the most wicked and evil sins, you're going to find something in there about rebellion or about young people with an attitude towards their mom and dad. You have an attitude of disobedience towards mom and dad. You got an appointment with God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Because young people love themselves. They don't obey an authority. How about this one? They're unthankful. Because they're so in love with themselves, I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Uh, why should I say thank you? You know, somebody else ought to take care of me. Somebody else ought to put clothes on my back. Somebody else ought to put a roof over my head. Somebody ought to pay for every single aspect of my life. And after they have paid for my life, do you think anybody bothers to say thank you? I'm thankful. Because they love themselves, there's no reason to be grateful. The Bible says not only are they unthankful because they love themselves, they're unholy. Because I am so important and I love myself so much, it doesn't matter what my parents say, I'll disobey them. It doesn't matter what the authority says, why do I have to listen to the police? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I am so important. The word unholy pretty much means it doesn't matter what God thinks. I don't have to follow his standards. I don't have to follow his path. I don't have to follow his ways. They're unholy. Then the Bible says, without natural affection. 
In verse number three, there are people who are so self-absorbed. They are so loved in their life, they don't even have normal affections. It's a mother that doesn't even love her little child. A, a mother that'll go to an abortionist and, and kill the little baby. How, how could anybody, any thinking person do such a thing? Someone that, that is so in love with themselves that this baby, this child is going to get in the way of what I want. And, and, and humans have become so absorbed in self-love that they don't even love their family, that they don't even love anybody. Then the Bible calls them truce breakers. I am so right, and anyone who does not agree with me is so wrong that there's no way to even talk to them. There's no way to even meet with them. I am the one who is right 100% of the time. Nobody else is right, and if you don't see it my way, hit the highway. And look, we live in a day where people are so in love with themselves, you can't even have a conversation. You can't even talk with some people. Truth breakers, false accusers. You know, that's a name that is reserved in the Bible normally for Satan. But no, there are people just like Satan. They're false accusers. They'll lie about everything. They'll lie about anything. They'll accuse people. They're incontinent. There is no control over them. They love themselves so much, they say, anything I want, I get to have. Anything I want, I get to have it right now. And nobody's going to get in my way. And the Bible says that they're fierce. They're out of control despisers of those that are good. Then God calls them traitors, people that will betray somebody else who get in their way. They're heady. They kind of rush forward in their wickedness. Get out of my way. They're high-minded. They're insanely arrogant. And they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. i got to tell you, that's a pretty desperate look. And yet that's a list that describes where our country is. That's a list that describes what our culture is all about. Our culture's gone a long, long way from saying freedom is so important, it's worth dying for. And now we come to the place where it's all about me. It's all about what I want. Everybody get out of the way. I am the only one who matters. And if you think it's desperate now, and if you think it's bad now, I've got some really bad news for you. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. That's what God said. You know, sometimes you wonder, how can I get any worse? It's almost like a rubber band, and it's just stretching, and it's just stretching. And when you think it can't stretch anymore, it does. And, and then the next day's worse than the yesterday. And, and, and sometime you think that rubber band's just going to have to snap. But God said, no evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse and worse. And you know, it's not just going to be your culture. It's not just going to be your society. Could I be honest? That's what bothers me when I hear preachers that ought to know better saying, well, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be culturally relevant. Do you know what that literally means? The word relevant means to be connected. When you hear a minister say, our church is culturally relevant, they're saying we're connected to the culture. You know, the last I checked, God didn't say connect yourself to the culture. He said, come out from among it and be ye separate, saith the Lord. The last I heard, God didn't say connect to the culture. God said, get disconnected from the culture. The last I heard, the culture's supposed to look at churches like yours and pastors like yours, and they're supposed to say, you know, those people are a little strange and they're a little bit different. God never said get connected to the culture. God said separate from the culture. Because the culture is only going to get worse and worse and worse. You know what else is going to get worse? Look at chapter 4, verse number 3. Here's another one of these promises. For the time will come. Not could come, not might come. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, i got to tell you, you think we're getting there? The time is going to come where people are going to say, no, 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 I don't want to go to a church like Riverview Baptist Church. You know, what is it with that brother box? The guy stands up there and he opens up the Bible. Come on, don't you understand you're supposed to have a rock and roll band there on a Sunday morning? Uh, don't you understand you're supposed to be swaying back and forth and waving your arms in the air? Don't you understand this is all about entertainment and show? Why, you're and then the guy stands up there with an open Bible and he like preaches the Bible. What is that? You know why that's happening? Because it's right here in the Word of God. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know, sometimes you go to church and your pastor preaches truth, sound doctrine, and you have to endure it. Because sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? And sometimes it's not very pleasant. 
And yet people say, no, I'm just going to put my thumbs in my ears and I'm not going to listen. I don't want to hear sound doctrine. I don't want to hear the Bible. So instead of sound doctrine, what do you think they're going to do? You know, sometimes I read verses like this and I think, did the, like the Lord write this last night? You know, is Paul somewhere? Where is he? Is he is he here tonight? I mean, you got to be kidding me. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We don't want the Bible. But after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers. No, no, they're not going to heap to themselves preachers. They're going to heap to themselves teachers. So when you turn the TV on and you go to the religious channels, where's the preachers? In the old days, there were some preachers. Where's those preachers? Oh, no, no, everybody's got the, 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 their teachers. And it's interesting, God said that in the last times, people are going to heap to themselves teachers. And you know why? Because they're going to get people that are going to tell them what they want to hear after their own lust. Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, when I come to church, I want music that I want. I want to hear a preacher say what I want. It's all about me. It's all about my thinking. So I'm looking for a pastor that's going to please me. I'm looking for a church that's going to please me. And you go ahead. You ask Brother Bacchus, how many times is the phone ringing? You know, <clears throat> Brother Bacchus, we we possibly might grace you with our presence. But before we do, we have a few questions. Now, Pastor Bacchus, what programs do you have for our insolent children that we can't control? Oh, our precious little children. Pastor, what programs do you have for our teenagers? Pastor, what programs do you have for our family dog? Pastor, what programs do you have for our elderly grandparents? Pastor, what program do you have for me? What do you have for me? What can you do for me? And you know how many times the phone rings and somebody says, you know, preacher, we're heading that way up towards Green Bay, Seymour, Wisconsin, and we're just looking for a church where we can get busy serving God. You know how many times he gets that phone call? I promise you. Not too many times, because if he did, somebody would have to be there to give him CPR. People say, it's what I want. I'm going to go to a church, they have music that I want. Well, that's what the Word of God tells us messed up people do in the last times. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go to a church. I'm just going to go to a church where the guy preaches on prophecy all the time. Really? Like, you're going to go tell the preacher what to preach on now? You are so smart that a pastor who invests his life studying the Word of God, praying and asking God what God wants him to preach, hey, you, you, you know, you're just going to show up and say, this is what needs to be said, this is what needs to be done. It's not the job of the preacher to preach on prophecy all the time. It's his job to preach the Bible. Amen. Amen. People heap to themselves teachers that are going to tickle my itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what makes me feel good. Tell me what I agree with. And the Bible tells us it's only going to get worse and worse because when you go to a house of religion where a minister tells you what you need to hear, not what you're supposed to, or what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. When you go to a house of religion where it is all about giving people what they want according to their lusts. When you go to a house of religion where it is music that I want, programs that I want, a plan that I want, when we go to a house of religion that is all about me. In verse number four, this is what God says will happen. They shall turn away their ears from the truth. The word turn away means they're going to make a conscious choice to turn away from the Bible. And when they turn away from the Bible, look what it says. They shall be turned. This is a little different word. The first turn means to turn away from the Bible. The second word turn means to be turned and twisted up into fables. Yeah. When people say, I'm going to go to a house of religion that's going to tell me what I want. They're going to give me what I want. It's the music that I want. It's the programs that I want. You know what the Bible promises is going to happen? Ultimately, you're going to turn away from the Bible. And as soon as a person turns away from the Bible, there's only one way to go. They're going to be twisted into the fables of men. And it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get worse and worse. And think, well, isn't it going to get better? Not till Jesus comes. And even then, it's not going to get better down here for another seven years. Worse and worse. 
I, I mean, this is not sweet and candy. This is not good times and pleasant. God said, you think your culture is a mess now. We're just getting started. God said, you think the false ministers and the lying tongue preachers are, are bad now. It's all just getting started. You think the false religion where, where people are literally in the name of religion mocking God is bad now. Oh, they're going to get twisted and turned into fables. There's going to be more lies in the name of Christ. There's going to be more deceit. There's going to be more of a mess because the Bible says perilous times shall come. And now the Bible says it's all going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> Doing my best. So what are we going to do? Yeah, you know, we, 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 somehow this is all turned into every Sunday. You know, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Maybe, maybe with all the ministers preaching every Sunday, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> maybe we're supposed to be afraid. He said, well, well, I thought it was supposed to be fear not. Well, if you're right with God, you're not going to fear. But, but you know, there still is this thing in the Bible called the fear of God. Maybe we're missing it. Maybe instead of preaching more positive, 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 we should go to the Bible and say what we're looking at in our culture, what we're looking at in houses of religion is only going to get worse and worse. So what are we going to do? It's why 2 Timothy is in the Bible. Here's Paul in prison saying, man, I've lived my life for the Lord. It looks like I'm going home. They're going to take my head off. That's not better and better. I mean, you know, you can almost hear him. Remember that old song they had on TV? Something good is going to happen to you. Oh, really? Try singing that one to Paul when he's in prison. He said, man, it's just getting worse and worse. And religion's getting worse and our culture's getting worse. So what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? I mean, instead of cotton candy, maybe we just need some real Bible. So look what God tells us to do. A couple of things. The first one is found back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 10. Right in the middle of all that, we're going to suffer persecution. Right in the middle of all that, love me, love me, love me. Look what Paul said, 2 Timothy 3.10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and afflictions. In other words, Paul said, I have built a testimony for Christ and I'm going to keep on going. Timothy, you know what I've done. You know how I have lived. And all the turmoil and all the trouble. I, he's like a trailblazer saying, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to back off. I'm not going to compromise. I, I'm not going to go another way. Things are getting worse and worse. So he says, I'm going to keep on living for Christ. Timothy, I invested my life in living for Jesus from the moment I was on the Damascus Road and I bowed my knee to Christ and I saw the glory of the Savior, and I was born again from that moment, the first words out of my newly minted saved lips. Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he said, that's what I've been doing ever since. And with everything getting worse and worse, you know what God wants? God wants somebody in Seymour slash Green Bay slash Appleton or wherever you live. God wants somebody tonight to say, I'm living for Jesus. And everybody knows it. Thou hast fully known my manner of life. How about number two? What are we going to do with things getting worse and worse? Second Timothy chapter three, verse number 14. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. How are you going to continue? How are we going to go forward? Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. How are we going to do this? Verse 15. Hey, Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see it tonight. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse. The culture is going to get worse and worse and worse. Big religion is only going to get worse and worse and worse. So here's the Apostle Paul in the prison cell saying, Timothy, just keep living for Jesus. Then he says, Timothy, just stay in the Word of God. Son, when you were just a little kid, when you were an infant, when you were in your mother's arms, when you were growing up in what we call Sunday school, I, Timothy, from the time you were a child, you heard the Bible, you heard the Bible, you got saved because you heard the Bible, you became a preacher because you heard the Bible. Timothy, get in the book and stay in the book. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Boy, the answers are not profound, are they? They're just those simple Christian things. What are we going to do with our world falling apart? Well, number one, we're going to keep living for Jesus. And number two, we're going to stay in the Word of God. 
What are we going to do with the world falling apart? Well, there's two more things. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. What are we going to do with our culture? It's a mess. What are we going to do with things getting worse and worse? Brother Bockhouse, Brother Graham, they're just going to keep preaching the word. They're just going to keep preaching the word. Not preach about the word. Not read a verse and then tell stories. Not preach politics. They're going to preach the word in season and out of season. They're going to do it instant. That means with fervency and fire. No, they're going to preach the word and they're going to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Uh, They're going to patiently just keep preaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, preaching the doctrine of the Bible. When the crowd likes it, when the crowd doesn't, when people decide it's important and when they say it's not, they're just going to keep preaching the book, preaching the book because God said preach the book. You understand how this all fits together? God said when evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, when people love themselves and it's all falling apart when your culture is a mess and your world is falling apart preach the word preach the word preach the word in fact it's an amazing thing when you read second timothy there is a a model how do you like that word that's that's one of those words the intelligent seminary professor uses a model you know what the model is the model in second timothy is a man of God studies the Bible like a workman. They labor over the Word of God. Then that man of God takes the Word of God that he has labored over and studied, and then he preaches the Word. That's the model. Do you know what you don't find in 2 Timothy? Everybody's sitting in a little circle saying, what do you think about this? And what's your opinion of this? And what's your view of this? And how do you... Feel about this verse. And I just say, it doesn't matter what we feel about any verse. It does matter what God says. Preach the word. What are we going to do? Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know and you don't know, but what I do know, it's going to get worse. And so what are we going to do? What are we going to do if the election is not what I want? What are we going to do if things don't work out? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we're just going to keep living for Jesus. What are we going to do? We're just going to keep preaching the word. What are we going to do? We're just going to stay in the word of God. And you know what else we're going to do? One more thing. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's an exciting verse because it's all in the past tense. Paul starts out in chapter 3, it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. All the self-love and all the sins that come along with it. It's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. All the false preachers and the false teachers, it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. So we're going to hold down by our fingernails and we're just going to keep living for Jesus. It's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. But we're going to stay in the Word of God and we're going to stay in the book. It's going to get worse, but we're just going to keep preaching the Word of God. It's going to get worse, so the Bible tells us we're going to finish the race. Now, this isn't going to get easy, and it's not going to be fun, and it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And the crowd, like with Jesus, is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Being a man of God, being a lady of God, being a family of God, being a church of God never has been easy, but it's going to be harder tomorrow than it is today, and it's going to be harder next week than it will be tomorrow. This is not getting any easier. So somebody's just got to say, I'm in this race until I see my Savior face to face. What are we going to do in times like these? We're just going to keep on living for Christ. We're just going to love the Word of God. We're going to keep preaching. And we're going to stay till the finish line. Years ago, there was a gentleman named Edward Mode who grew up in London. Mom and dad were wicked as they could be. They ran a pub, and that kind of tells you everything you probably need to know about Edward Moat's upbringing. He was a neglected boy. That's what booze always does. I'm stunned when ministers are all for liquor. I got to tell you, the God of the Bible condemns liquor. Wherever booze is popular, families are ruined, marriages are ruined, lives are ruined, young people are ruined. Booze has never put one good thing together. All it does is destroy and ruin. 
The young boy, Edward Moat, was on the streets of London, neglected, running around, getting into trouble. And yet, by the grace of God, at the age of 18, that rebel heard the gospel story, and he was marvelously saved. Got himself plugged into a good, strong church in London where he heard the word of God. And for the next 37 years of his life, he worked as a cabinet maker, a very successful businessman. But it was at the age of 55, believe it or not, at the age of... 55, God called Edward Moat to preach the word of God. He took a Baptist church 40 miles south of London. He stayed there for 22 years. And you know, it was never a spectacular church as the world would say, I suppose. And, and yet the one thing that Edward Moat left us, in addition to a wonderful testimony of the grace of God, well, he gave us some wonderful words to sing in a time like this. It was Edward Moat who wrote it, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath is covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Edward Mode, how are we going to make it in times like these? Evil men and seducers are worse and worse. Perilous times have come. Aye, the wheels are coming off and our culture and our houses of religion are a disaster and it's only going to get worse. So what are we going to do? And the old preacher from London wrote it, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In perilous times like these, we're going to keep on living for Jesus. We're going to wake up tomorrow morning and open up the Bible and get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into our hearts. In perilous times like these, well, we're just going to start preaching the Word, keep on preaching the Word, and we're not going to stop preaching the Word. And in perilous times like these, we're going to stay in the battle until we see our Savior face to face. It's what you do in times like these. Tonight, if you're not saved, maybe you're listening online. I can tell you, if somebody's not saved, they don't know how they make it in times like these. You know, I, I get it. I understand why booze has gone up, why drug abuse has gone up. Uh, I've got to tell you, if somebody's not saved in times like these, you've got to turn to something. There's so much panic. There's so much fear in times like these. Well, if you don't have a Savior, what do you cling to? And that's not a good answer. And that's why if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the only hope to be rescued from sin, the only hope to be saved from hell is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're not saved tonight, Pastor Bockhaus would love to help you right here in this auditorium. Somebody's opened the Bible and let you see from the Bible how you can know you're saved. You're listening online. We'd love to have you contact us tonight, no matter where you might be. And let us help you from the Bible, not to get religion, but to know the Savior Jesus Christ, is he your Savior tonight? Because in times like these, there is no hope unless you know Christ. What are we going to do in perilous times? Well, that's what the Word of God is for. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.